You will lose someone you can't live without, and your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up. And you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold. But you learn to dance with the limp and Lamont. Welcome to the Lost Traveler podcast. I'm your host, Henry Cameron Allen. And today I have a very special guest who I have been wanting to have on this podcast from day one. And I'm glad we finally caught up with each other. Dr. Barbara J. Hopkinson of Massachusetts and the world. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, Barbara's the, the founder and CEO of A Butterfly's Journey and the Faces of Resilience Project which I've been interested in since we connected. How long ago now have we- Oh my goodness, Henry, it must be. It was before you went to Europe a few years ago. My goodness, I don't know, five, somewhere between five and 10 years. I don't know what- Exactly, I know. But we, and we've always, we had an instant connection and we never managed to get it together to, to collaborate. Yet, <laughs> yet, um, but but I I have a good feeling that that we're headed in that direction. Um, tell us a little bit about well, not only a butterfly's journey, but your journey. Where were you born? How did you get from there to here, where you are now? I'm in in brief. I know it's very layered and complex. But. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so let's see, thumbnail version. Uh, I was born in Bangor, Maine, but my parents were living in Newburyport, Mass. at the time. And then they did what I think was one of the greatest things. They moved to this little barrier island called Plum Island, Mass. on my third birthday. And, oh, my God, what a place to grow up. Um, 45 minutes from Boston, 30 minutes from New Hampshire, 45 minutes from Maine, four and a half hours from Manhattan, but I'm on the ocean surrounded by lakes and rivers and oh my God, I just I love, love Plum Island, love yeah, Plum Island. Plum Island is amazing. So um, I didn't really realize it. I think I, I left and went down to New Jersey for uh, school and that's where I met my first husband. And that's when I realized what I had left. My mom said to me, because they bought a place that that's all they could afford. It wasn't considered a good place at the time or an upscale place. And she said, you know, do you, do you, uh, do you, was it okay growing up here? I said, seriously, mom? Oh. Yeah. I, I'm like over the hill is, is the beach. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. So long story short, I fought my way back when my boys were born and they were three and one. I really wanted to hit them to grow up near the ocean like me. I had. So I, uh, I got them back up, but my first husband didn't really like sand. So he wouldn't move down the island. We built a house in Newburyport, which is an amazing bedroom community. It is. You know, just outside of Boston. But again, lots of visual and performing arts, great restaurants. Anyway, so we were there for 10 years. And then the whole neighborhood kind of changed from little kids. They all grew up, went off to school and we're starting you know, over again. It was turning over again. So I convinced him and we looked for three years, found a place on the ocean, which is where I live now and still do. And so fast forward, my boys, my two boys grew up. My older son went off to military high school at his own choosing, um, did wonderful. He was out at Arizona State University, got a scholarship, was on his way to being um, an army pilot. When he talked a friend into switching vehicles and uh, 
had a rice rocket motorcycle, which he was just starting to test drive, had not enough experience and he lost control of it and lost his life. Uh And that blew up my life and it blew up my marriage. So a year later, uh, my marriage fell apart. Before that, uh, my third son was still born when my boys were six and four, Robbie was still born. And before that I had had a miscarriage. So now I've lost three children. Um, I actually attempted suicide with a combination of my marriage falling apart and my old and losing the, the, my oldest son. Um, but it became a turnaround point. Luckily, I did I did it like with carbon monoxide, so it gave me time to think, and I realized I couldn't do that to my remaining son. So right. it became a turning point, and I started a local chapter of the Compassionate Friends to help a support group, which I still run 18 years later, for families that have lost a child, grandchild, or sibling. And then a few years after that, I got certified as a grief recovery method specialist and started a butterfly's journey, which was for broader grief. And I've taken that national and I've started to take it international. And that you will talk later, but it has three main components to it. So how did you find compassionate friends? I've attended meetings as well. um, You know, after I moved to Massachusetts from Minnesota, a year after my son Cameron passed from brain cancer. Um, I was looking for community. I was looking for some way to break through the isolation of grief, of intense child loss grief. It's so intense. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. People don't know. I, a friend introduced me to it. You know, and it's funny because I had a lot of theater friends back then, which I think is eventually how I met you. <laughs> but um, the theater friends were the ones that didn't run. People don't like to talk about grief. And most people, and, and now all these years of my working with bereaved parents, they all tell me that people run away from them in supermarkets. And I think it's not only partly because they don't know what to say, but I think they can't think about it in the context of their own lives. It scares the heck out of them. Well, so, it should. <laughs> it's yeah, overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah. I remember yeah. that feeling of going to the grocery store and we were beloved in our Twin Cities community and I couldn't go out of my house without somebody falling apart in my arms, you know, wow. or coming up to me with puppy dog eyes and yeah. you know, weeping over my grief and saying things like, I lost my parakeet two months ago. I know exactly how you feel. And, you know, bless them. I, I don't yeah. discount their, their, pet grief grief. because that's also very intense (laughs) a lot of a lot of people you know feel that their pets are like their children and and i can i they're they're searching yeah you know they're searching for a way to relate to the profundity of your grief and so it's it's i know it's easy for a lot of us to fall into judgment how dare they equate my loss to their parakeet right but but I got past that, thank goodness. Yeah, um, yeah me too. Because yeah. a lot of the parents that I deal with in, in my support group, and, and then I do these grief recovery method classes, and I have had people that come and lost like her, her puppy, but her puppy was with her for 15 years and she didn't have any kids. That puppy was her kid. That's right. You know, and, and so I, I, you know, I understood it over time. Um, but a lot of the parents that I talk to and of my own, they didn't have that experience of people coming up to them and trying to be empathetic or pat, you know, um, compassionate, they would just run. They would just yeah. wouldn't talk to them at all. And they would avoid them or they'd lose friends and family. And that it was happens. just so sad because you need it and you need to talk about it, yeah. which is, you know, which is really, you know, one of the things I'm doing with the phases of resilience. It's all about open expression, encouraging open expression around grief. Mm-hmm. 
Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. We hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. Talk, talk a little bit more about that. Um, what, where was this idea born? So you take photographs of people who have experienced any kind of loss or specifically child loss? Yeah, no, any kind of loss. Um, and so it's, it's, again, open expression. So um, I, I, saw, I saw somebody doing photos, I think it was Dear World, but they were doing it related to like world events or, or traumatic you know, weather events you know, like, uh, like Hurricane Sandy or Hurricane Katrina. Right. Um, and I thought, oh my God, I need to give, I need to give this gift initially to parents because they don't get to express themselves because of what we've been talking about, especially when they've lost a child. Yeah. But then I opened it up to much broader than that. And so, um, and I tried to work with them for a while, but that didn't work out. And I said, I'm just going to take this and focus on grief. So I go to grief related events and that might be, it might be the National Conference for Compassionate Friends or Bereaved Parents of the USA. It might be, uh, we've done walks on the Capitol about overcoming addiction, um, uh, vigils around addiction, uh, Association for Death and Education Consulting, all different kinds of things that are just kind of related to loss and grief. And I encourage people to express, just come up with some sort of a phrase to express themselves, got to come from them. And I have lots of examples that they can see the, spur ideas but if they can't um i just give them i ask them leading questions and so i said it's got to come from you but once they come up with something they're comfortable with and it might just be a name and a heart i write it on their skin with a washable marker and i love hearing the stories and having that connection with them mm -hmm. and then we we literally bring a mobile photo shoot it's got a big black you know backdrop and lights and a professional you know photographer they sign a media release. We take as many photos as they want. And if they want to do singles, couples, families with pets, whatever they want, we just, we do, we take as many photos as they want. And then we edit them professionally and, and send them to them. So we email them the photos so that they can use that as a, so it's a very cathartic thing for them to do it because they're getting to express themselves viscerally. Right. right? And then, and then it's, it's, it's a catalyst for them to talk about their grief with their family, with their friends, so with anything. And, and it's so powerful. And I just, I just love it. It's my passion. Is there a website that has these photographs or a coffee table book that people can buy to support the cause? Or <laughs> how, do, how do we see these amazing expressions? Right. right. So my, my website is abutterfliesjourney.org. And that's possessive, not plural. So it's F-L-Y-S. And on that is a photo gallery. There's three main things that we do uh, for Butterfly's Journey. And um, I'm just going to mention them and we can talk about them, whatever you want. And I'll put that link in the description, by the way, for listening. Okay, great. Um, but anyway, it, it's, um, 
there's, there's a, a free resource center with hundreds of resources in 10 categories around grief. There is uh, grief recovery method classes, which I have an advanced certification in, and that's the only evidence-based methodology for grief in the world. Wow. And that's out, there's information about that. And then there's a photo gallery with a lot of these photos. Um, and then you click on it and you just see a first, you know, a description and a first name of, of the type of, of basically they're, they're actually, there's tabs and classified by the type of relationship, the type of loss. Hmm. And so people can go and see if they want to see that other people have lost to suicide or other people have lost to addiction, or that I want to see people that have lost their child or lost their parent or lost their spouse, they can actually see photos according to those things. Um, and it, again, it's all, you know, about kind of open expression, but um, it's a butterfliesjourney.org and then just go to the photo gallery. And on Facebook, there's actually a, fa fa a Facebook and Instagram. There is a faces of resilience um page as well there's oh, a butterflies great. journey page and there's a faces of resilience page on both of those things and i think for for um a butterflies journey i think i'm also on i don't know a few other things twitter and yeah <laughs> well i'll put, I'll put several links in the description um because i know that a lot you know it, it's so important what you're doing because it is a brutal kind of isolation that unless you've been through it yourself yeah. Um, it's hard to gauge how many people around you have gone through something similar and to find that relatability. I think I, like you were talking about, a lot of people tend to bow out when you've experienced a, a major loss, like a child, um, you know, people say, oh, it's unnatural or yeah, I can get that your parents, you know, that you've outlived your parents, but nobody should outlive a child. This is nothing new. It was perfectly natural for me to lose my son because that's what happened. And he went in his way, in his time. If it was meant to be otherwise, it would have been. And so I'm here having to find balance. And if you can't find balance in your own community, where do you go? That's why organizations like yours um, are so vitally important. But when you're in the midst of that vortex of grief and loss and depression and rage and all those other things, um, yeah. it's hard to know where to go. And so I'm really happy to connect people with you in a butterfly's journey and faces of resilience because this is a tool. This is an important tool. Um, and also your, your grief work. Um, grief recovery i just i'm sorry to interrupt you just one second you did ask me about the book and i just want to mention that yes I mean, yeah we're not doing it with just audio but i have a book called faces of resilience oh great it's on amazon um and it has just to show you it, this is, gives you an example of some of these 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 people and 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 they're writing on their skin and some of them are just they blow your mind. Some of the, you know, I had one mother who lost her son to overdose and she just wrote on her arms, no blame, no shame, just love. Beautiful. You know, I just like certain ones like that, or I choose not to be a victim or you're not lost. You're in my heart. I mean, these, these sayings that they come up with just blow my mind. And they just, I, you know, I usually get to hug them. It's awesome. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, and permission is a powerful thing. And I think that what what this work does is that it gives other people permission to grieve in their own way and to have a vehicle for expression. 
through photography, which already is so powerful, um, beautifully lit, beautifully rendered. Um, we let's talk a little bit about resilience because whether or not we've experienced loss in our own immediate sphere, we all know somebody. Oh, and yeah. we all experience it. Loss. We all experience it, and we're in an interesting well, time. It's not just death, right? I mean, it's well, like no, no, it could be any loss of a relationship, loss of finance, loss of where you live or your health. You know, there's lots of lots of kinds of loss. I mean, Environment, nature. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's so much yeah. going on and right then, now in the world. How how does one begin the journey toward resilience? Because I, I'm sensing that there are a lot of people uh, around the world, maybe who are listening to this podcast, who are feeling quite fragile right now and oh, don't yeah. know how to how to be resilient. What are, what's the first step? Wow, that's a tough one. Because I think it might be different for different people depending on what works for you. But there are so many things. I mean, I think one of the things that I think is most important is keeping an open mind about what might help and trying different things. So when I lost my son, I mean, I was an IBM exec. <laughs> we didn't talk about spirituality. We didn't talk, I was on quotas and deadlines, you know, and, and I actually said to my boss at the time, the worst thing in the world that could happen to me has, you therefore have no power over me anymore. That's right. I don't care about your deadlines and your quotas. <laughs> That's right. I need to focus on surviving, you know? And, um, and so again, my theater friends, I started to say before, they were the ones that didn't run, right? They would stay and listen to me, God bless them. And they introduced me to spirituality in this concept of my connection to the divine, whatever that was, right? right? Kind of outside of religion, right? Yeah. Whatever that was. Yeah. And everybody should do their own thing. So, so I did a lot of exploration and thinking about that. I had friends that taught me how to meditate, which is, I mean, which really can just be deep breathing, just be quiet and, and breathe deeply. You know, it's just, just get some quiet time and relax. Cause that's where I felt most connected to my son and my loved ones. Getting out in nature, watch walking in nature is so healing. I did a lot of walking on the beach, some yep. forests journaling i never kept a diary but again the universe provided my my lap my remaining son who was 19 at the time um and who was not a bookworm right he went into a bookstore and bought me a leather bound refillable journal and i'm thinking really and so because it was so unusual for him and he did that i said okay i'm going to start using it well it blew my mind how cathartic that was and I started journaling and just let everything pour out because the good, the bad, the ugly, nobody ever has to see it. It's so cathartic. That's another form of expression, right? To, to journal and let it, let, hey, it, just let it all pour out. Well, eight journals later, I wrote my first book also called The Butterfly's Journey, Healing Grief After the Loss of a Child. You wow. know, so, so it was just, all those things are very healing. And then I started, they started telling me about things like energy healing. And I'm like, what? What's right. that? You know, and so I tried it and I thought, okay, this is kind of crazy, but it, it was amazing. I felt, I went to my friend, you might know him, Mark Clopton in your report. Mm, I've, I've heard his name. I, I, yeah. He, Cause he's in theater. He, he manages the um, new report acting. Yep. Um, 
anyway, so, but in any case, um, so he's an amazing shaman and energy healer. And so I went to him and it was about nine months after my son died. And when my marriage was, my 30 year marriage was falling apart and I didn't know what the heck to do. And I thought, I'm going to give it a try. Oh my God. I felt better. He released some energy blocks and I felt better than I had since my son died. You know, it's not a one-time thing. You know, I went every yeah. six months for, you know, for a couple of years at least. But just all these things, it's like keeping an open mind to things that you don't know. And since then, I think I've tried any, every type of energy healing imaginable, right? Reiki, acupuncture, polarity, yeah. <laughs> reflexology. The biggest breakthrough in wellness in the past 50 years Vox Life's wearable technology has no batteries, no wires, and no metals. When neuroreceptors on your feet or arms come into contact with the Vox HPT pattern, a neuroresponse is triggered, sending information to your central nervous system, helping regulate pain, maintain motor control, and balance. The effect is immediate, so you focus less on weathering through physical pain and discomfort and more on living a happier, healthier life. As a special promotion, our sponsor is donating 25% of your purchases through the following link to benefit the Lost Travelers Club and our new Brain Candy Project wing. Simply visit https colon double slash lost travelers club hyphen braincandyproject.voxlife.com that's v-o-x-life.com it's a win-win yeah no there's so many tools out there for healing i you know i'm now september of, of this past year was the 13 year milestone for me since my Aww. son went and uh he was here for 13 years as well i was just gonna say i was just gonna ask you that because i'm thinking that's got to be a tough milestone when it comes longer well and then it brings with it you know the first holiday season you know right. bringing me back to his early childhood and the magic of that time and right. you know there are there are things that that will trigger us um i always wonder when i hear healing from grief um I don't, I don't expect that I will ever be healed from grief. Okay. I, I see there's a difference between mourning and yeah. grief. Mourning for me is a temporary state. It's that deep when it's fresh. Uh, I grew up in the Jewish faith and um, we sit Shiva for a week after our loved one has deceased. And after that week of deliberate mourning then you get on with grief then you get on with the rest of your life and i think that grief is going to be there forever it's that grief of of missing them in the physical but like you say being open-minded to everything being possible i think is key i think you really nailed it there because you know, we are all brought up in a certain philosophy or religion or faith, and it teaches and preaches that this is the way. This right. is the only way. This is the truth, the only yeah. truth. Yeah. When human beings have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, and however we sprung 
into the world. Uh, we're here now and we haven't been around that long when you compare it to how long the earth has been around or right. the plant kingdom or the other animals and you know and dinosaurs and all that so um you know i i think that to to take a half step back uh -huh. and gaze in wonder at the world around you and and then look in the mirror and gaze in wonder at yourself on the other side of loss. Yeah. That's my word for 2022 is wonder. Is really, wow. really awesome. staying yeah. connected to that state of wonder because yeah. it is absolutely mind-blowing when I hear your story, when I look in the mirror and see my story and what I've survived, you know, yeah. in my life, be it my son's loss or, or cancer or my own cancer that I survived or, you know, major life shifts throughout my life. Um, we are resilient beings inherently, but each one of us individually has our own unique journey with, with that or toward that. Oh, absolutely. And grief, I think grief changes you. Yeah. But for the most part for the better, because I got to tell you, it makes you, um, it makes you kind of get it right? It makes you understand crystal clear for me anyway, what was, what's important and what's not. And yeah. I no longer waste time on things that I don't consider are important. I don't hang around negativity or negative people. Right. I don't, put, I don't spend any time on stuff that I think is pure BS, you know, or yes, exactly. totally a waste of time. I just don't have any patience for it anymore. And it's made me absolutely a better person, a better listener, more compassionate, Yep. And as tough as it is to go through, there are those silver linings. And um, I'm careful about saying I don't ever stop grieving because I don't want people not to have hope. I, and, and I really am good. I mean, I've, I've lost both parents in addition to a husband and the kids and, and finances and a lot of other stuff. But I'm still optimistic. I'm still hopeful. Yeah. Um, I feel mostly healed. Do I still miss the physical presence of them? Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, but I just, um, life can go on, can be good. And, and you know, and it, and it is for the most part, you know. When you know, I talk you know, about, you know. seriously, when I talk to friends and family about the gifts and the grief. Yeah. Um, they're like, what? How can you, how can you lose a child right. and see it as a gift? I said, well, you have to be standing in my shoes. Yeah. Because that becomes the measuring stick of what really matters right. after that. Oh, and yes. it, it changes, I mean, almost instantly. But once, yeah. once you emerge from the cloud of mourning, yes. right, and you start to say, not that we wish grief on anybody, that's no, not no. all what we're saying, nobody <laughs> should have to go through this. But if you find yourself yeah. in grief, yeah. right, good grief. Yes. I call it, right? Like Charlie Brown, good grief. Yeah. But yeah, it, really. there is good grief. There is <laughs> that hope and that silver lining. And for me, I, and it seems like for you as well, a lot of it has been A, being open-minded yeah. to their existing tools that I've never been aware of before, whether yes. it's in energy healing or whether it's reconnecting to the natural world that we are part of not separate from yeah um or even therapy. Or, whether, 
being open-minded to things like that. Therapy, yes, of any kind, of any kind. And then we start to see um, what's possible. And for me, where I found it was in channeling my grief into service to others. We're very much alike in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if I can show other people how I get through, and believe me, just like you, I have my days. I have days where I do not want to get out from under the blanket. I have days where my body shuts down. I've been going through, I wanted to talk to you about this. I've been going through something recently Uh and I've had it in in varying degrees over the years, but um, I've I've been experiencing sleep paralysis. Oh, what's that? It's something that I've started looking into. It's not a dangerous thing, as far as I know, but it's where you are, you're asleep, your body is asleep, you're what they call lucid dreaming. You're in a dream, but you're aware that you're in a dream and you're aware that you're asleep, but your eyes are closed and you're not awake. And you can't break out of that state of sleep. You're absolutely physically, paralyzed not mentally not emotionally i can be in the middle of a dream in a you know scottish castle somewhere and be totally aware that i'm dreaming and want to wake up but i cannot i I lose complete control over my physical being and at first it was really scary because i was like okay my dog's got to pee i'm going through the laundry list in my head of all the things i need to do i've got a meeting at four you know i've got all this stuff to do and you're remembering all this while you're sleeping yeah yeah no it's it's as 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 awake as i am now only it's an inside um and then eventually you wake up something clicks clicks you out of that state um but i have noticed that this sleep paralysis phenomenon comes at um, trigger points. Like it could be a birthday or it could be the holidays or it could be New Year's. It could be uh, right. his day of passing. It could be, right. you know, it's never random. It's always attached to some kind of a trigger. Do you go through anything like that or have you heard of anything like that? God, no, I'm, no, I haven't. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I've, I've had, some dreams and i personally believe sometimes especially if if i feel like there's a visitation that's obviously a vivid dream is often a, a visitation yeah yeah um and you know the difference when you experience it yes yeah it's hard it's hard to, but but it's just yeah because it's it's so vivid yeah um but i haven't actually felt I'm trying to think. I've never heard the term before, sleep paralysis. So I'm I'm actually searching in my brain, thinking, "Boy, have I experienced that and didn't know it, or didn't know what to call it?" <laughs> Look it up. Look it up. Yeah. No, I will. But um, no, I can remember feeling being kind of locked in or or woken, waking, woken up, um, feeling like, "Oh my God, I really felt like I was in, you know, in something like that." But I don't remember feeling so locked up like that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I've I've let it go. I've, I've again being open minded. I I just sort of embraced it now. Yeah, and because my life has a certain rhythm to it here, where I don't really have a lot of places I need to be <laughs> in the moment, especially when we're on lockdown yeah. or in quarantine. I just let my body do what it needs to do. One thing that I've learned is that it may be a protection mode 
because yeah. if you are in a depressive state or PTSD triggered, um, there's there's a potential, however small, of doing damage to yourself or doing damage to someone else or to property okay. or you know putting your fist through a glass window or whatever. Um, and it's your body's way of protecting you. Wow. By forcing you to into paralysis. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like a visitation type dream. No, because I mean, I've had those. My first one was nine months after Cameron passed. Uh And it was, it was a gestation if you think of birth, right? Nine months. Uh And so Uh I was always looking, I was always looking for it. Look, asking him for it. Well, show yeah. up, please show up in my dream. Send me a sign. Yeah. He told me to look for cardinals as a sign that he was around before he, oh, he, he whispered okay. that to me, which I know now that it's, it's a symbol for a lot of people. I had right. one tattooed on my heart. Oh, cool. The, the first and last thing I see every day uh, in the mirror, whether or not I see one in nature, which in Europe I don't see them, but um, I have a butterfly on my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Right? For some people, it's a butterfly. Um, kind of an international symbol of transition. Yes, kind of absolutely. Transition Would, to a life from without, with them to without them physically, and then a, a transition of life for them from a physical life to a spiritual life. And it's just such a major issue, symbol of transition in so many ways. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups, virtual or in-person book club meetings. For further information, go to psychologyprofessorandminister.com. Well, and I think that conversation about transition, I mean, we're in a perpetual state of transition, human beings, aren't we? Um, Unlike the rest of the animal kingdom, as far as we know, or other life forms on the planet, um, they are too in their way, but we get to be conscious of it. I don't know that my service dog, Flat Stanley, is aware of the transitions that he's gone through in the last five years, um, or a tree, right? But I, I, I'm aware of it. But, and, but, look, but look at how dramatic the transition is of a butterfly. Yeah. From a caterpillar to a pupa to a, you know, in the chrysalis and then to emerge into this unbelievably beautiful creature after coming from something so tiny and kind of ugly. It, it's just crazy. The sim- symbolism of that, I think, blows my mind. Well, and then we can find those symbols all throughout nature. We can yeah. look at the ocean and realize that we're merely a drop, right, yeah. in the ocean. And within yeah. that drop is contained a whole universe of life yeah. and, and being, right? So we can look to nature. That's why it's so important to get out into it as you can. If you're in a big city or if you're in a desert or someplace where you don't have access to a forest or an ocean, um, find ways. You know, when I was teaching uh, in yeah. schools, 
I would take my kids, my city kids, my inner city kids outside yeah. onto the pavement, onto the, the yeah. uh, lay them down, have them close their eyes and listen for sounds of nature in the city. Wow. Oh, and that little gesture opened, wow. them up, opened them up to realizing what's around them. So there's always a way, there's always, always a way. These, um, these visitations, I, I, I get them very often and there it's like you're in a it, it, it's a very real yeah. environment it's yeah. like i'm sitting in my house or i'm sitting in in a hall somewhere and um and it, it feels real yeah and it's multi-sensory the first time that time with the cardinal i i could smell cameron's hair mm. it was very it was a visceral experience wow. i've had other yeah. dreams but dreams and visitations are very, very different in their quality, I yeah. think. What, what a gift. I mean, I know so many people that like this. Oh, my God, but I just I want a sign so bad and I can't get one. But then I think we're talking sometimes about the difference in energy levels. If you believe in the difference in energy levels, love is very high. Grief is very low and it's difficult to connect. And I have actually several friends who are mediums mm -hmm. and which are the people that can you know kind of cross over and talk to the other side. And they'll say, we, I have to raise my vibration level. And the person I'm talking to has to lower theirs in order for us to be able to communicate. And when you're in deep grief or early grief, that gap is just too wide very often. You know? yeah. so, so that's why sometimes I think it takes time. And then sometimes people may not be looking for it. I tell people, please journal, write, write it down. Find a little journal. Whenever you get a sign, write it down because you are going to want to remember this five or 10 years from now. Even if you're not sure, even if you're not sure if it's a sign. Even if you're not sure, absolutely, yeah. Trust your and gut. Then, <laughs> and it might, right, yeah, trust your gut, exactly. It might be a cardinal, it might be a butterfly, or it might be, I'm actually talking to somebody about writing a book about signs, because I've had several, but I know people that have had some that are, you know, and, and the, the kind of book I want is things that you really can't refute, not just like butterflies and cardinals, but things right. that are... Uh, I had, um, I have a friend, a musician who's, um, uh, she's not a medium, but she can, she has this gift of being able to, to talk to people on the other side. And so um, I saw her actually um, channel a song and it was, we were in my living room and she, we were talking about my book and about her music. And she actually just went out and got her keypad, key, her keyboard from her car, and she channeled this. And, and I had this really emotional reaction to it. And it's like, what, what was that? Where did it come from? And she looked around the room. She had never met my son. And she picked out his picture and said, that's where it came from. And then when he realized he could, she could understand him, and he used to do this with other people too, he would start giving her messages for me. And then one day when I was uh, I would had rented my house in the summer and I was moving into the other place. I decided to take a walk before I unpacked. I get a message from her. It says, Brent says, be careful going up your front steps, mom. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, I'm walking back. The entire length of the step was cracked. If I had put my weight on the outside edge of it, I would have fallen and hurt myself. Yeah. So I want, I'm on a book of signs like that. She had never been to the place. She had no, no. idea. Yeah. <laughs> You know, well, and, and talk to anybody who's been through any kind of, of grief process or loss, you're going to find those stories. I think yeah. there are more, I think, especially in some parts of the world or different cultures or different communities, um, 
people are taught from an early age not to speak of such things or to discount those things because they're a trick, right? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, whatever. But those of us that experience them, I, I've experienced them since I was a kid. Um, you know, and, and even as an adult, I still, I get, I get messages all the time. Many of the times it's from outside of myself, right? Yeah. So I, I was in a store, for instance, one time and the radio was playing overhead and I'm not even really paying attention. And this woman comes around the corner and she said, sorry to be so weird. You don't know me. I don't know you, but I just got a message from a young man who like a teenager and he's saying, tell my papa that song was for him. Oh. And she didn't know my son called oh. papa, right? <clears throat> that kind of a thing. Oh, and, yeah. But then also it, my teaching him as a parent, and this is the other side of it too, in terms of life skills, right. uh, those of us that are parents of young children, we can show them that this is part of our system. This is part of our way as human beings to be sensitive to these things. Case in point, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, uh -huh. um, she's the one I go to for lost things. Okay. I'll ask her out loud, grandma, where are my keys? And I'll hear her <laughs> voice in my ear say, oh, they fell out of your coat pocket. They're under the sofa, right? Wow. And I'll go, there they are. Okay. One time Cameron was in it. We had a three-story townhouse in Minneapolis <laughs> and Cameron was up in his room and he called down the stairs, three stories. Papa, would you ask great grandma where my book is? <laughs> I'm like, no, you've got to cultivate your own relationship with her. Ask her, she'll tell you. And like two seconds later, found it. You know, oh, that kind of so a thing. Funny. Wow. <laughs> so, so again, that open-mindedness and, and it's hard because with dogma and doctrine and being taught that this is the way and you don't draw yeah. you don't color outside the lines that make yeah. make it difficult uh for some people um but i think in the privacy of your own space we each of us have our own connection with what we call the spiritual world or the unseen yeah. forces outside of us right um, that's the whole thrust of my theater company, by the way. It's exploring the liminal space, the threshold between the human physical and the human spiritual through theater. Oh, wow. Cool. And, and so I'm dealing with this on a daily basis through storytelling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you are through storytelling, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and it's funny because so, so that song that I was telling you about, and then I met this same person on, on my son's, I call it Angelversary his mm -hmm. day of his passing mm -hmm. on his 10th anniversary and again she she said okay i need a little more time can we meet half an hour later i said yeah sure so when we got together she had a poem she read she said he dragged me out of the garden and made me channeled channeled um this music and then the lyrics you know to this poem and so i had her come into the studio when i did my book um and and i did an audio book and I had her record both of those songs. So they're free gifts on my website, by the wow. way. Oh, and oh, so gorgeous. one of them's an instrumental, the first one. And then the second one is one with lyrics that really speaks to, I think, bereaved parents, not just me. It's addressed to me, but it really is for all of us or even other people, all the types of loss as well. But it's, um, yeah, it just it just blows your mind, some of the stuff that, that comes through and, and how meaningful it is. Hi, I'm Yvonne Johansson, and this 
is My Little House. My Little House is an interactive, multi-sensory, educational felt toy that I invented to help develop children's language skills. I love My Little House. I've been working as a speech therapist for over 20 years. So then I just thought, wouldn't it be great if I could just take this one-dimensional board and make it into an actual three-dimensional toy? How cool would that be? That's the idea behind My Little House. You can spread it out flat like a four-panel felt board, or here's the cool part. In the blink of an eye, My Little House easily converts into a three-dimensional reversible house. My Little House comes with 36 felt cutout pieces that match outlines in eight colorful rooms. And they're felt, so they stick. Each piece inside My Little House has been placed with purpose. But My Little House isn't just for kids on the spectrum or with significant disorders. It's also for typically developing two to five-year-olds. It's a fun toy. I always say to my kids, when you get stuck, you have to ask for help. Can you tell me what you see on top of the refrigerator? I know that My Little House is going to make a difference in thousands of children's lives. I just need your help in getting it out there. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about My Little House, My Little Farm, My Little Zoo, and other Smart Felt Toys, visit www.smartfelttoys.com. And keeping, you mentioned before about reaching out to help others. Yeah. In the when I wrote the book, it was 10 years after my son's death. And I, the last chapter is about the three most important things. And one was about trusting your gut and keeping an open mind again, yeah. and trying different things. Again, there's no magic bullet here, right? It's typically not one thing that's going to help you. It's multiple, but just right. keep an open mind. The second was helping others helps you heal. I mean, unbelievably, totally. the appreciation and getting the focus off yourself. I don't know what it is exactly, but it absolutely works. And then the, um, um, I forgot, <laughs> I, know, I muted my phone, but not my computer. There we go. Am I do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we go. Okay. And then the, um, the third was really that it's all about the love and to focus on the love and the positive and the positive memories and all that kind of stuff. So I have just, a, I have a question, not oh, to change the subject, anyway. but <clears throat> I, I struggled for a long time with language around it, uh, self-identity. I never resonated with the term bereaved parent because I'm not always bereft. That doesn't describe me. And I'm, you know, an inherently happy person. And I know people who are bereft who I who can really identify with that terminology but I could not and I was looking for language in every language around child loss and identity a word like widow or orphan that I could turn to yeah, no there is none uh, there's none there's right. none and I've looked all <laughs> over and yeah, the search could be no word for uh, no word for uh, a brief well whatever brief parent but a parent, a parent who's, who's outlived their children yeah. and um, I have a I have a good story to tell you um, about how the Lost Travelers Club came to be uh, oh, yeah. but I I also want to talk a little bit about the difference in process and your 
experience, your vast experience in working with parents on the other side of child loss, the difference between fathers and mothers in their grief journey, because I see a very pronounced difference. It's a big, it's a, it may, that may be a whole other uh, episode. (laughs) <laughs> um, but but even if we can touch on it, it it's been sure. it's been a really uh, it's been a profound uh, wake up call for me. Um, I think there's a great need in the world to address uh, both in their in their different ways and find the common ground between them because obviously it's there too. Yeah, there is. Yeah, uh, plenty of it. But um, but yeah, talk talk a little bit about your perception and you know your not only your therapeutic work uh, around grief, but also with the compassionate friends and, and so forth. What, do you, what yeah. do you think? Well, I mean, first of all, the grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss, right? It's not, you're not sick, you're not crazy, <laughs> you know? But yeah, men and women definitely react differently. Women tend to reach out more. They wanna talk more. They, they, they tend to search for help more. I have both dads and moms, you know, in, in my groups and stuff, mm-hmm. but um, the, there's generally more women than men uh, that are reaching out and looking for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, again, generalization, I hate to generalize, but I know. there's more, uh, there's typically more anger with men um, mm-hmm. after their loss. Um, and a little more sometimes a little more blame depending on the situation if there was somebody else involved you know the anger and blame um guilt and regret i think is spread probably pretty evenly yeah <laughs> you know? yeah um but uh but they're just um what once you can get the men especially talking and make a connection then they really connect in and then sometimes they're just again even more kind of loyal and helpful and and you know just want to do things to help and support outside of themselves you know just to you know um but yeah it's 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 tough i mean one of the interesting things so about the the grief recovery method because i looked so so basically my story so my son died in 2000 my older son died in 2002 the two babies before that and in 2003, I started the Compassionate Friends of Greater Newburyport, Mass, which is that support group. Yeah. For lots of the child, grandchild, or sibling. I still run support meetings and do a few events and things around that. But um, somewhere around then 2012, I wanted to do more. I put out my book in 2013 and started A Butterfly's Journey. And I was looking for a methodology. So, and something that really treated people as unique you know, and, and wasn't um, religion-based, you know, it was um, non-denominational and all that. And I found this methodology written by a bereaved dad. And um, it was just, it, it, it's, it's been, and then I got certified and then I got an advanced certification, but it's been proven over 40 years on six continents. And it's been used in all different kinds of grief. And it's got, it's really interesting because it's got tools. It's, it's succinct, right? It's seven weeks, one-on-one or eight weeks in a group. So it's not endless mm-hmm. <laughs> and it allows everybody to really express themselves. And you go through these tools where you're talking about the myths of grief. You're talking about short-term energy relieving behaviors that you may or may not realize are related to grief 
like drinking and overeating and retail yeah. therapy and things like that. And then, um, and then it goes through that you, you actually do a loss history graph of all of your losses. And then you do, you pick one relationship. It may or may not be the one you thought when you started, like, you know, the primary loss, mm -hmm. but you do a relationship graph with all the pluses and minuses in that relationship. From that, you actually extract recovery components, which are basically undelivered communications. So they're things like apologies, forgivenesses, and other emotional statements. And then you turn those into recovery components, and then you format them into a letter, which is basically completing the relationship because you're getting to say all the things that you didn't get to say to that person before they died. Mm -hmm. And then you're, it's witnessed. So I would witness their, them reading the letter and saying goodbye, not goodbye to the person, but goodbye to, to the grief and to, to all those feelings, right? I've already I've delivered all that stuff. It's very powerful. Wow. Um, and like I said, it's been evidence-based. I think it was, the process was through Kent State University mm -hmm. and it was evidence-based, became evidence-based a couple of years ago. It's the only one in the world that's evidence-based. But it's, again, it's simple, it's succinct. You can understand it and it's, everybody's unique and it's, it leaves, you know, allows everybody to be unique in their, in their grief and their recovery. Is there a book I can link to? Um, there's- Or a website? Uh, well, there's the, yeah, the, the, the web, the general website. Okay. Again, I talk about it on my website of a butterfly's journey.org and they can connect me through that. Yep. There's a handbook. There's actually homework. And, and, you know, like during these classes is you have to agree to kind of do the homework, read the book and do the homework. And it's the grief recovery manual. And it's the grief recovery Institute that does it and, and certifies people in it. Um, and that is, I think, grief recovery Institute.com, I think. Okay. Um, I don't remember if it's .com or .org, but no, anyway, it, it's, but it's, it's powerful and people, I think a few, a couple of years ago when I went to, I've been to a couple of their international conferences and they were like a few years ago, 5,000 people all over the world doing this, you know, certified in it. Uh, like I said, I went back and got, a, got an, uh, an advanced certification so that I could do it internationally and online, right. you know, with anybody anywhere through Zoom or phone or you know, yep. that kind of oh, that's fantastic. And, and again, it's another tool. Um, yes. And it's tried and true. And I think that's, yes. that's sometimes, especially in smaller communities or people who don't have uh, access to resources, we always think in terms of, you know, we have the internet, we have Zoom, we have everything, Google and all that. But there are so many communities around the world that don't have internet access, who don't have access to resources to deal with this or to expand their skill levels. Yes. Um, and so if you are any of our listeners in uh, a country or in a community where these resources may not be available at large, um, this is an opportunity for you to bring them out into your own community, to empower yourself, to be a helper in the world, to channel your grief into service to other people who are also experiencing grief in their own way, but maybe with some limited skill and some limited uh, resources. Um, one of the things that uh, really hit me, you know, when you met me, um, I had the Brain Candy Project, which was a support system for parents who were living in hospital with their critically ill kids. Many of them were far away from home because they were looking for the best care to save their children. 
And so they didn't have any community around them, nobody to bring them wholesome food or clean clothes or nail clippers or little things you don't even think about when you're right. in, in the hospital with your child. Um, and so the Brain Candy Project, which my son and I created together while he was still here, wow. um, was a way to bridge the gap and to welcome families uh, who are going through a critical time with their children Wonderful. into our community to say, while you are here, you are family and whatever you need, we will provide for you. And so it wasn't financial. It was comfort items. It was things to get you through your day. It was a bar of soap that didn't smell like formaldehyde or it was, right. you know, a comfy robe or a hoodie or something, yeah. right? We called it a candy box. So after Cameron passed and I got on with my life and, and I was no longer in the hospital experience, um, the Brain Candy Project was sort of in a, in a, a holding pattern for a long, long time. Um, I had a really hard time finding volunteers to help carry the burden of it yes. uh, in terms of promotion and hospital communications and things like that. Right. I was, it was all me and it was overwhelming. It was too much especially since I wasn't in that world, I was on the other side of it. Stories are at the very heart of what makes us human. We each have one, and we can learn and grow from listening to each other. The Listen podcast is an exploration of the stories of Americans abroad and how they got there. If you're curious about the world and hungry for community, check out their website at www.thelistenpodcast.com or their Facebook group at the Listen Podcast Community. And so fast forward to a couple of years ago when I was in England and um, after three months, I had to leave the borders of the United Kingdom for a minute and then I could come back for another three months. Right. And so for as a tourist. And so I went to Belgium. Yeah. A little bit about this before. Talk about that. I love Belgium. Yeah. I loved Belgium. I had never yeah. been there. And I thought, okay, where can I go for a long weekend holiday? And just, you know, so I went to the Belgian coast, this little town, this little uh, coastal resort town called Blankenburg, uh -huh. uh, about a 50 minute train ride from Bruges. Uh -huh. And if you've not been to Bruges, Go to Bruges. You know, oh, I know. I really magical on my bucket list. I've always wanted to go to Bruges, and I didn't get there when oh. I was in Belgium. But I love Belgium. Yeah. All right. Next time you come to Europe, yeah. and I'm free to travel, then we'll go. I'll I'll, awesome. I'll go to Bruges. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so I was um I I got on the train in London and went to Brussels, and then I had to switch trains in uh -huh. Brussels to go to the coast except they put me on the wrong train. Oh, <laughs> they gave okay. me the wrong information. And I ended up almost to Germany on the other oh, side of the country where I, from where I wanted to be. And so <laughs> I got off the train in this village and I said, where's Blankenburg? Oh, Blankenburg's way on the other side of the country. I said, well, is there a train from here to Blankenburg? Because I have a reservation and I'm really, I'm tired. I've been traveling all day. I want to get there. And yeah, said, no, you have to go back to Brussels, switch trains again. So okay. I ended up getting back to Blankenburg around 11 p.m. But uh, but when I got to Brussels, I went. Belgium is. 
shows you how small the country is. If you yeah, exactly. It was tiny. And so I got back to Brussels to switch trains. I went to the ticketing agent. I told her the story and she leans back in her chair and with this sort of Marlena Dietrich accent, she says, uh, you are a lost traveler. Oh. <laughs> and something hit me in my solar plexus. Oh, and I almost funny. started crying. Wow. Because we were talking about there not being language around child loss. That's precisely how it feels to me. After wow. child loss, you feel like you are a lost traveler. Oh. You feel like your destination wow. is unclear or you've been set on a different path than you expected. Yeah. And it, I was, I, I still get a little verklempt over it because, because it is so accurate. It is so yeah. pinpoint accurate really? to the journey wow. of child loss. So mm -hmm. I was holding that and I got to Blankenberg and the next couple of days just sort of, you know, walked around and, and then I took the train to Bruges and I got on the train and there was a group of women younger than me, most of them um, in my mid fifties. And I think the eldest was probably around my age or a little older. And they were having a grand old time. They were laughing and cackling in some language I had never heard. And I was just delighted at, at this energy that they were putting off. And so we got off the train in Bruges and they, uh, they all crowded around me because they wanted to know about my service dog, Flat Stanley. In Europe, they call them assistance dogs. What is an assistance dog? And so I was telling them, you know, that um, I experienced child loss and I have, you know, some post-traumatic stress and, and all of that. He really helps with that. I'm also physically disabled. I have nerve damage in my leg and he helps me with balance and so forth. And I said, and, and what, tell me about your group. Are you just a group of friends on holiday? And they said, no, no, we're from uh, Holland, which is why I didn't understand the language. And uh, we, are, we are a travel group uh, and we call ourselves colegas. I said, oh, you work together? Because I'm thinking colleagues, right? I'm trying to equate. Okay, right. And she said, no, 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 no. We're all young widows. Oh, interesting. Okay. And we called ourselves colegas to throw people off the scent because when we were um, trying to book events or concerts or restaurants or hotels even, and we would tell people what our group was, nobody would want anything to do with us because they would think oh. that we would show up in black and be morose and depressed. Oh, wow. Nobody wanted to be around a group of widows, right? And there are men in the group as well, just not on this uh -huh. trip, but in the organization, the nonprofit right. that we have called Colegas, there are men and women, but this was a particularly just a group of women. <clears throat> I said, wow, that's fascinating. I said, what, what's the idea behind it? They said, well, we, we have all met grief younger than we expected to with uh -huh. our, our partners. Okay. And with this travel group, we have found a way to find community and to step back out into the world in a powerful but fun way amongst people who get it, who understand this journey. We don't have to explain to anyone what it means Wow, that's great. And if somebody needs to spend the day sleeping in their hotel, we get it. We understand. If they want to go, go out by themselves or if they want to come out with a group and go to the disco, then great, you know. 
but there was that sense of awareness, that sense of understanding amongst this group or these groups. Um, and I, I was walking around Bruges all day thinking about these women, thinking about this idea of a travel group. Powerful. And then it dawned on me, the Lost Travelers Club. Everyone's always saying that child loss is a club that nobody should belong to or nobody yeah, wants right. to belong to, right? right? We hear that phrase all the time. Well, guess yeah. what? Now we have a club. Wow. <laughs> now we have a club. And, and of course, I now with- link, I think. I think I typed it rather than clicking your link and I hit the wrong thing. So that comment I made earlier to you yeah. was off. I think I was looking at the wrong thing and I was oh, still maybe. wondering what it was. Interesting. Okay, that was okay. sense. All right. Yeah, if you go, it, it's it's in the awesome. description. Losttravelers.club is the website. Oh, okay. No, and I didn't put the .club. That's the problem. Okay. Oh, okay. And so all the, um, all the proceeds from sponsorship of the Lost Traveler podcast go uh -huh. to support the Lost Traveler Club. Now with the pandemic, that put the kibosh on the idea of a travel club because okay. we're all very limited in how we can travel in the world right now and especially right. in groups. And yeah. so what it's sort of, as we're waiting for the world to open up again, what we are, are doing, I have a blog there on the website and, uh, and there's also a, a group, a private group on Facebook for okay. parents uh, who have outlived their kids. And there is a Lost Travelers Club uh, Facebook page. And uh, and for the podcast, we're on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. So, um, <clears throat> But the idea of it was well met when I first started doing some field research. And my fiscal sponsor for the Brain Candy Project United Charitable, under which I operate as a nonprofit. Um, I called them when I got back to Blankenberg and I said, what would it take for me to change the organization from the Brain Candy Project to the Lost Travelers Club? They said, just A, B, and C, and all the funds that are in the Brain Candy Project coffers will transfer over to the Lost Travelers Club. Just send us your new website, send us all this and that. And, and it was seamless and beautiful. And then one day I got a message on Facebook from somebody I never met before, a young woman, 19 years old. So we're essentially a kid still. And she asked me a simple question. I don't know how she found me, uh, but she asked me to send her a sketchbook. If I would send her a sketchbook. Huh. And as I started chatting with her, um, I discovered that not only had she lost her leg when she was eight years old, but she in the last 10 years has had numerous brain tumors and wow. brain surgeries and they've affected her eyes and, and her physicality. And then I think three years ago, she lost her mother on top of all of that, oh, wow. right? And a young person going through physical life-threatening health challenges anyway to yep. go through the loss of a parent on top of that, who's your caregiver, your main, right. so go to your source, your rock. Right. Yeah. Um, I was like, I've got to help this kid. She has nothing. Her father was a, a, a disabled vet uh, on very limited income. And so 
for some reason, Providence <laughs> sent her my way. And I said, listen, I'm in Europe and in Spain. I, I don't know what I can do from my end here. And after the conversation, a light went off in my head to bring back the Brain Candy Project. Oh, okay. Huh. And the concept of a candy box. But now instead of providing uh, goods, support goods for parents living in hospitals, uh -huh. We can provide art supplies for young people who are still struggling for their lives and going through a hard uh, or terminal illness. Wow. And so, um, so I sent her, without her knowing it, I sent her uh, a $200 candy box full of art supplies, wow. paints, and I sent her, I think. Yep nine sketchbooks and watercolors and different kinds of pencils different kinds of it was just a, a deluxe art kit nice. because these kids have they need self-expression they need a channel like you're talking about journaling she's also a writer yeah. uh, and part of this whole brain candy vision cameron's side of it was a magazine to be called brain candy to be written by and for young people who are living with critical or terminal illness as a way for them to bridge to one another and form community and not feel alone in the world and so you know everything that we're doing to bridge people in their experience i think is so profoundly important especially now uh, maybe now more than ever, because we're dealing with loss and grief in a way that our generation certainly hasn't seen, maybe since a world war um, on that yeah. level of loss right. uh, of, of parents, of children. I just lost my father in October to COVID. Yeah, sorry. And yeah. so, yeah, so it's, it's, it brings up a lot. Right. And I value this conversation with you and I want to have more conversations with you. Uh, definitely have you back uh, as a guest because there, there's, we're just it. scratching the surface, aren't we? Yeah, true. A lot of stuff related to this and affected by this and especially with everything going on in the world right now. But yeah, we've always been able, it's funny, we hit it off right away. We first, I don't even, I'm trying to remember how we actually connected or why, but I remember calling you and and drove to Gloucester and met you. And yeah, we always hit it off. We've always been able to talk easily. And I don't even remember exactly what the catalyst was. <laughs> I don't either. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I don't know. It was just meant to be. And, and sometimes people, <laughs> you know, go off on their path and sometimes the paths reconnect. I'm finding that a lot right now. I'm reconnecting yeah, right. with a lot of old friends and <laughs> in more profound ways than when we first met. So yeah. I definitely feel that way here. Um, the last thing I always ask my guests at the end, and I know you've offered a lot of practical tools already in this episode, um, but off the top of your head, either reiterating or maybe something we haven't talked about yet in terms of our listenership around the world, 31 countries and growing. Wow. How, what are, what are three practical tools that anyone universally around the world, no matter what culture they're in, and no matter where they're listening, what can they take away from this conversation or uh, introduce something we haven't yet in the conversation, practical tools that they can apply to their journey? Oh, goodness. Um, okay. Uh, well, one of the, one of the, uh, I know you're going to put 
my site. I won't bother mentioning that again. You're going to put it on. Um, mm -hmm. But I know another really profound and, and expansive resource center is opentohope.com. And uh, it was founded by Gloria and Heidi Horsley, both a mother-daughter psychologists who uh, Gloria lost her son and her husband and um, Heidi lost her brother. But they, they have people, I think, all over the world that are, do articles and videos, and there's lots of great resources. Wonderful. Um, God, there's so many different organizations. Um, the Compassionate Friends is in 30 countries. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, and... Um, they were founded in the UK, um, and then they came to the US, and in the US, they're the largest grief organization in the world, and that was for families that have lost a child, grandchild, or sibling, but it's CompassionateFriends.org, and I think there's six or 700 chapters in the US, and I don't know, um, like I said, they're in 30 countries, but uh, you could go out there and find, um, and the, the one in London is the one, probably the, the base of the European one, but there's several countries, and they... They had just have a lot of resources online as well as uh, in person, you know, meetings and it's all volunteer. It's a peer, all volunteer group mm -hmm. uh, and all free. Um, and then, um, oh, let me see. Well, I guess again, just to reiterate the Grief Recovery Institute, which is uh, grief, re is it grief recovery? Oh God, I should know this. <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. I'll put it in the description. Right, yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, and again, and a lot of that, and then connects into to mine as well, because I've got the resource center, the free resource center, which is a butterfliesjourney.org. Great. Um, yeah, Great. So. There's so much out there. There's so much out there. I wish there were a way to reach people uh, in communities where they may not have resources uh, or be aware that there are international resources available to them. So if you're listening and you are on a grief journey, whether it's a parent or a child or a friend or your parakeet, uh, there are there are there's help out there, and I think from from Dr. Hopkinson and I, we we have um, we have a similar message that you're not alone, nobody is alone, and I hope that this episode has inspired you. It's certainly inspired me and it's inspired me to want to collaborate with you more. And um, thank you. Thank you for your time and your energy and in, in the face of all that you have dealt with, all the resilience that you have managed to armor yourself with uh, and still remain open-hearted and genuine and sensitive and kind. Uh, I, it's it's a much needed energy in this world. So thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Henry. Thank you for all the work you're doing for inviting me to your podcast, and it's been so nice reconnecting with you as well. I'd love to find more ways to collaborate. We'll do it. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yes, absolutely. Happy New Year. This is um, this is great. Thank you. And then just let me know um, how how you want to uh, if there's a flower or whatever, and then so I'll promote. When you're gonna, when you're gonna put the podcast out and that kind of thing, and um, uh, yeah, and if if you see opportunities uh, to do kind of gatherings or photo shoots in Europe as you go through your stuff, I would love to find a way. And you know, sometimes we need some help with 
covering expenses, but I yeah. just would would love to to do more of these spaces of resilience to allow people to express themselves about all kinds of all kinds of. Um, well, like we said, permission is a powerful thing, and if somebody expresses interest in how you feel or how you've managed to to survive loss, right, yeah. and writing it on your body. Yeah, uh, that's such an act of empowerment. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. You've been listening to season two of the Lost Traveler podcast with Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at www.henryallen.org. Thank you to my guests and thank you for tuning in. Let's keep striving for a better world together.